Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to the Pegasus podcast presented by Night Sports Now. I am Bailey Adams. I'm joined by Christian Simmons. And you can find both of us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, And go ahead and throw Night Sports Now a follow at Night Sports Now. And this is a new thing. If you don't know who we are, you might have seen us on Twitter. Maybe you don't remember our real names. I'm the Greg McRae for Heisman guy. And Christian is the uniform guy. So if you know us as that, that's fine. But, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, I'm kind of realizing now that I have to come up with something new to annoy Twitter with over the summer since Greg McRae has departed. And yeah, maybe we'll spend some time on one of these podcasts talking about what that thing might be. But we're uh, not here to talk about that. We've got a lot to get through on our first episode. But, you know, first I thought it would be a little uh, interesting to kind of get our UCF ties out there, how um, we came to UCF and, you know, our, our experience with UCF. So Christian, I know you got some deep ties to UCF. You're, you're, you know, going first on seniority. So why, how are you tied to UCF, sir? Well, yes. Uh, the thing is, first off, I just have to say, I feel like Bentavious Thompson for Heisman is the natural progression there. That's just that my, that's my that, two cents. That could make sense. I feel like that should be like, it should be like when teams have a special Jersey number that like one player wears, like it's whoever is the <laughs> best running back gets the honor of Bailey Adams Heisman tweet. I think I'm it's the way it. I might, I might be, might be. We've got some contenders next year. There's Bentavious Thompson, uh, Johnny Richardson, and that's the entire list. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, my UCF ties, I go way back with UCF. As some people who follow me on Twitter for other than uniform stuff know, my dad went to UCF before I did. I'm born and raised in Orlando, so been going to UCF games my whole life. UCF's always been a big part of my life, and then I obviously ended up going there myself. So, seen a lot of times my first ever – UCF football game was actually on the road at Gainesville. We drove all the way to Gainesville to watch them play Florida. And uh, my mom's a UF grad, my dad's a UCF grad. So it was, you know, a little family rivalry. And then after driving all the way to Gainesville, we left at halftime because that's how bad UCF was doing. Yeah. So it was a great time. Luckily I was too, (laughs) don't really remember it, but uh, that kicked off a lifelong uh, obsession with UCF athletics. Well, that's uh, certainly more interesting than, than my roots for UCF. I think um, my first little experience with UCF was, Actually, so I, was, I grew up in Tampa, and my parents both went to USF. Don't throw stuff at me virtually through the internet, please. Uh, my parents went to USF, and so I did grow up going to USF games. So I'd seen probably some USF-UCF baseball games, maybe a basketball game or two in my time. Um, but then my brother came to UCF back in 2011, I believe it was. And that was kind of like my first chance of seeing like a college campus that wasn't, I guess, USF. It wasn't like my, the one that I'd seen multiple times in my, my childhood. So it was really interesting for me. And, you know, as a middle schooler in 2011, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And so my brother going to UCF kind of got me into uh, UCF athletics and I had started following the football team back then. And of course the first season I really remember following is 2013 for obvious reasons. Um, but then, yeah, when it came time to, to find which college I was going to go to UCF was the only one I applied to. I got in and, you know, it was all done. I was like September of my senior year of high school and I had no more college apps to, to fret about or worry about. And, you know, that was nice. And so, you know, my time at UCF, uh, a, lot, a lot's been going on. And, you know, we both graduated uh, undergrad in 2019. I feel like we should say that. Um, and so we kind of got to see a lot of the, the golden era, uh, I guess you could say, at, at UCF. And, we got to see the, you know, the 2017 national championship. We got to see literally just about every sport rise to, you know, a new level. And, you know, Christian, have you ever had a time where like you've kind of acted like everything's okay, but it's really not? I feel like we all have. Yes. 
yeah, that's what this entire intro has been because the big news today, we found out this <laughs> afternoon before recording that athletics director Danny White is on his way out. He's headed to Tennessee to become their athletics director, and that leaves a massive void uh, you know, in the UCF athletics department. And Christian, I mean, this is our, our first big topic, and obviously this is, this is the one that has to take precedence here. Man, where, where does UCF go from here, and what is your reaction to these, this news? I, my main reaction is we picked a hell of a time to start a podcast. We had like a whole plan for the last week of what we were going to talk about. And then today, Danny White was like, what if I leave and destroy all your hopes of dreams for the future of UCF athletics? So that's where we're at. We wouldn't I, want it any other way. We really wouldn't want it. <laughs> right? Here come the views. Um, I, it's like, I don't, I don't just want to be, because I know that everyone's like mourning this right now. And I don't just want to be another voice that's like, whoa, this is a really big deal. But this is a really, really big deal. I was just looking. I mean, he hired when he was here. He cleaned out the coaches. He hired Scott Frost, Josh Heupel, for, just for football, and then Coach Abe for, bat, for women's basketball, Dawkins for men's basketball, Calabrese for soccer, Lovelady for baseball, Ball Malone for softball even. And softball had been great before he came in and then ended up old coach moving on, and softball's been great. Like, I just don't it, – it's so, so rare, and I hope people understand that, that – all of his hires have been home run hires. The only one that people are going to fight that on is Heupel. And even then he still has the best record of any UCF head coach in football history. So I just, it, it's not an easily replaceable guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talk about the hires and all, all of his hires have been successful here at UCF and I mean, none of them have been fired. None of them, um, you know, have, have done that poorly. And like you said, Heupel's a guy that people like to, to moan about a lot. And, you know, I've done it myself, of course, but you know, he's still got a solid record and, and there's still plenty of hope for this football program. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, outside of the coaching hires, it's, it's you know, the fundraising that Danny White did, all the projects he's had, you know, uh, done around campus and the stuff he had planned to do around campus. And it really had just started to feel like Danny White was going to be a UCF lifer. And I know it might have been perhaps a little ignorant to feel that way or to think that way because, you know, UCF is still a group of five uh, athletics program. But it really just felt like he really believed, and I'm not saying he, he doesn't just now that he's leaving, but he was really believing in, in what he was doing at UCF, and that was always a nice thing. And one thing, you know, to kind of put it in interesting terms, one of my friends said this afternoon that, you know, he has full faith in UCF's athletic department if Danny White got to hire his replacement because you know mm -hmm. it would be, you know, you know it would be a success. And so if Danny got to hire and got to have any say in who his successor is, you know, UCF's finally, or not finally, UCF's definitely going to be, in great hands going forward but yeah I mean just it's it sucks it's it's terrible news to receive on a Thursday afternoon but you know you can't you can't blame uh Danny White for for doing what he had to do and taking a, a new offer and he's really got a lot to a lot to do at Tennessee he's got got to rebuild that place oh boy like he uh like he did at UCF I think that I do worry a little bit about him at Tennessee and first off I do want to say for any <clears throat> for any fans that are upset with him I know I saw some people who were like we've been betrayed whatever. Look, we want to paint this image. And Danny White was the guy with the brush. This image that UCF is a power six and power six is a thing. And UCF is better job than most power conference jobs, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, that's talk. And you can't blame Danny White or any athletic director for taking the opportunity to not only become an athletic director in the SEC, but at what was for a long time, one of its premier programs and have the opportunity to try to lead it back. So I don't blame Danny White for leaving. I think that he did a remarkable job at UCF it's easy to forget how bad things were when he came in. Not only was football 0-12, but we just lived in a world where we sort of accepted that UCF basketball was always bad. Both of the basketball teams had been bad for years, and that was just fine. We were all cool with that. 
baseball was really starting to stagnate at the end of the Rooney era. Like there was just a lot of things not going well. And he fixed all of that. So now if he wants to move on and try the SEC, great. My one thing about this is there were always jobs we knew that he might leave for. It was, I mean, I know that some people believe he'd be here forever, but we always knew there were certain jobs. I didn't think Tennessee was one of them. And my main reasoning for that is that is a very different environment than how he succeeded here. That's a very booster-driven environment. The Tennessee state government is very involved in what happens at that school. And that's a totally different animal than what he's dealt with at UCF. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the flagship program of the state, I would say. I mean, it's, it's the SEC, it's Tennessee football, and it's Tennessee, you know, Tennessee basketball is, is a huge power as well. So, yeah, you're completely, completely right because, you know, as, as much as we have these arguments, um, people have them on Twitter and everything, but UCF is still, you know, third or fourth in this state in terms of, in terms of people's priorities. Um, so, yeah, for him to go to the, the flagship university of a state um, – it's, it's a completely different animal and it's really going to be interesting to see what he does because a lot of what he did here was, you know, building and, and the, the fundraising because UCF needed it. And at Tennessee, they have the money. They'll, they'll just give him, here's your budget, go crazy. And, you know, he's got a lot of work to do, but, you know, I, I think, I, I don't, I can't see him not being successful just because of his track record here and what he did before he got here. Um, but just for, for what it means for UCF I mean UCF, it really is the end of an era. And, you know, that doesn't mean that the next era is going to suck or this, this program is going downhill or, or anything like that, because he's built it up to a level too high for anybody to just say, okay, he's gone now, you know, we're, we're done because I mean, it, you, you would probably expect him to say that himself, that, you know, this, this program has a bright future and that he's not the program. And while a lot of what he did was how, you know, how this program got to where it is, you know, the, the program has to be strong enough to move on uh, with a new guy in charge. Yeah. And I just, it, and I hope that UCF fans understand that, I mean, this is the end of an era. There's no way around that, but I hope people understand that this sort of comes in waves a little bit where it's not like now everything's done. It's not like, well, football is going to be bad. Well, we'll get to football next year, but it's not like suddenly everything is <laughs> falling apart I mean this is I mean the impact of this we're going to see more in like 2023 and 2024 than we are in the next couple of years because everything's still kind of in place so I don't want people to think the sky is falling immediately I think the biggest difference maker is that it puts a lot more pressure on the current coaches at UCF to succeed and not just for themselves but I'm talking about for the school because you just you never know and we know that Danny White's made good hires and we know they're all going to keep performing but the first time you have to make a replacement we don't know how the new AD is going to handle that. And so I'm not worried. Like, it's not like it's changed anything. But one thing I will say, and I'm completely speculating here. I don't want anyone to think that I've come in with a tip. Like an example I'll give of how this could be troublesome is like baseball. We're going into baseball this year and really, really high expectations for UCF baseball. And if they meet those expectations, which I hope they do, Lovelady is going to be at the point where he'll have offers from other schools. And it's going to be the point where do I want to hang around with to see who my new boss is, or even if it's been hired then, and see if they'll keep me around or am I just going to go somewhere where I know that the AD there hired me and go jump to their job. And I think you, you can worry about seeing that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and then you have to worry about that at that point. If he, if just say, for example, if love lady had gone, then that's where you see the first and the new AD's first hire and his first replacement. And that's a really, it's really a lot of pressure on the new AD because, you know, we've talked about the, the track record that Danny White had with his hires and, and he never missed, he never missed on one. And, you know, say what you want about Josh Heupel. He didn't miss on Josh Heupel. And, 
he's I mean it, it's it's really I don't know that I'd ever seen not that I'm like you know well connected and real like have been seeing in depth what other ADs do but I don't recall ever there being this much success in terms of high like the run of success that Danny White has been on I've never seen anything like it and I don't know that like anyone has seen anything like it the only other place I've seen it was uh when Danny White was at Buffalo <laughs> yeah I mean there you go I you you go look back now the coaches he hired at Buffalo are all still in place and he left in yeah. 2015 I mean think about that that's insane that's I mean people don't realize the life expectancy of coaches these days in college sports I mean it's like two three years tops most of the time he left yeah. six years ago and his guys are still in place there I mean, in, in most cases at UCF, you have to hope that that's the case here too because, I mean, UCF does have a really, really good group of coaches across all of their sports, and, and that's, you know, a testament. That's Danny White's legacy. You know, one of, one of his legacies here at UCF is, you know, the, the coaches he has in place. And, you know, across, across the board, you know, these, these programs have taken themselves to, to new levels in the last, last several years or the last few years or so. And, you know, you got to think that they're going to keep performing. It's not like, you know, Danny White's pulling the strings on the day-to-day of, of what these coaches are doing. But it's, it's interesting. it'll be interesting to see how this program looks. Like you said, 2023, 2024, you know, are our coaches going to come and go? Um, is the new AD going to want to bring in his own, his own person for, you know, any of these other jobs where maybe a coach is a little bit underperforming? Because there's not really – any like glaring coaches on the hot seat right now so, so i i want to i'm, I'm going to make a point about that actually oh boy <laughs> so i i would agree except okay. i genuinely believe that this ad move i didn't believe it before i believe it moves hypo onto the hot seat because okay. i think that obviously and i've thought about i know that i'm so thrilled that apparently my twitter reputation is hypo defender now that's just great love to be stuck <laughs> that but um and i've just always been realistic Thank, about thanks it. trace yeah, thank you. <laughs> Was he the one who started that? He might have been. I, he had to be one of them. Yeah. But anyway, um, it, you know, 2020 wasn't a good year for football team by any, sta- by any standards. I've just always been realistic about that. I don't know how much of that was in the coach's control with a lot of the COVID stuff going on. I know they didn't have games canceled, but they had a ton of opt-outs that really impacted the team. But anyway, we were already talking like 2021 was going to be close to a make or break year for Heupel. It was, it was going to be important. And I feel like now it's so much more important because a new AD, they want to have a football coach they hired in place. That's a very common thing. And you're just going to have to be like, if they don't, if he doesn't reach a good goal, if he's within a range where he can be fired, I assume that that will be the course of action an AD takes if it's a new AD that didn't hire him. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't disagree. And I think that, you know, now that you say that that's, he's probably the closest one. Um, because, you know, you look across the other sports, there's no one else that's really kind of had a, a run of like of a decline kind of, I don't want to say it's a decline and we'll get to football in a minute. We keep saying that, but you know, that's our, our, our big topic number two, but you know, this Danny white thing is, is obviously taking, taking priority. Um, but yeah, I, I think football, I guess it could be the one where you see the new AD come in and, and want to hire his own guy. If Heupel and, and the football program don't perform up to UCF's new standards and, in 2021 i'm not saying they have to go undefeated because i know that's some fan standards but that can't really be the standard like it really can't if we're being realistic but if if this team's not competitive and this team's not competing for a conference championship this year and they finish you know what four losses or so and you you could kind of see that because you know and i'm like we've talked about this before um you know just through text and and in person and stuff that if (laughs) If you, got, if you fire Heupel with the kind of record that he has, what coach is going to want to come take his spot? 
And that's a really good point. And, and, and the only, only counter I really have to that is, you know, coaches have egos and the coach will think a coach out there will think, Hey, I can do better than that. I'm going to take the job. But anyways, it's, 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 it'll be interesting to see across the board how quickly or how, how, how quick of a trigger this new AD has and whoever the new AD is, that's going to be the, the most interesting part I think is, is we're going to start to see some candidates um, thrown out there. And, and I know you've, you've kind of looked into that a little bit this afternoon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Here we go with my uh, great, uh, great insider knowledge here. It's not insider knowledge. Just going common sense. Um, I obviously, one crazy thing to me is we've been through four university presidents since Danny White was hired. <laughs> John Hitt hired him, then Dale Whitaker, which went great. And then Thad Seymour, which went better, but an interim. And then we're at cart right now. So that's like, we're whole administrations away from the people who hired Danny White. So we really can't fall back on and Danny White. And anyway, it's not like Danny White was here for 25 years or 30 years. Yeah, we're talking a five-year window here. <laughs> this is not some like dramatic, it's a whole thing. UCF Man, builds a building they shouldn't way. have. It's a whole thing. But the point yeah. I'm making is just we can't go look at what they did in that search because it's a completely different group of people. I'm curious to see where Cartwright goes. The one thing, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know who Jason Beatty is, uh, 247 UCF reporter. He was retweeting today about uh, Cartwright's comments about uh, the athletics department that he made when he was becoming president. He clearly understands the importance of athletics to the school. He, he referred to it as the front porch of the school and talked about how for the brand and everything else, it's really, really important. So I have no doubt that he, I don't think it's going to be like a USF type situation where you have a disconnect between the administration and athletics department. I think he gets, he needs to nail this hire. You're laughing. I'm not dissing. I'm just being no. honest. <laughs> I know. But I know. with that being said, there are a couple guys that I feel like you have to at least bring in the conversation. One is Brian White. Danny White's brother, who's currently the athletics director at Florida Atlantic down south. Um, he's done a really good job there. That they, They've not to UCF's level, but they've had similar results where their sports are popping off a little bit. And he's been doing a good job of coming up with ways to get fans more involved. He's very much in that vein with his brother. I just feel like that's a natural. It's obviously you've got the Danny White connection, which is kind of incidental to me. I think it's more <laughs> that you've just got a guy who's succeeding at a high level at another Florida institution and can maybe come in and make a difference here. Now, the one that I think is interesting, not necessarily likely, but interesting is Eric Wood. Mm -hmm. Eric Wood, for those of you who don't know, was the deputy athletic director at UCF for four years under Danny White. He was considered a rising star. He was at the end of it. He was interviewing for a lot of different jobs. He just recently, not even three months ago, left for Louisiana Tech to become their athletic director. I don't know if it makes sense from Eric Wood's perspective, but if you're UCF, I feel like you have to reach out to him. I feel like you absolutely have to. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it's, it's funny because it would, I guess, can technically be considered an outside hire, even though he's been, <laughs> he's been with him and he just left. But no, yeah, I think that's a call you have to make. And like you said, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know Eric Wood personally, obviously. So I don't know what his, his feelings would be about, you know, he just started this, this new thing at, at Louisiana tech. Would he really give that up? I mean, it, UCF is undeniably a better job. Are you sure? Let's talk it through. He just started. No, we don't, we don't have to debate that. <laughs> well, we I just, did the math so he it. just started though. Oh, he boy. did. And that's the problem is, is that's yeah. literally, that's the only thing holding it up. And right. I did, I looked at the math on it. And so according to Danny White's contract, he's get a uh, UCF is getting $2.5 million 
for him to go to Tennessee. That was his buyout because he just signed a contract extension in March. So actually, how much of the lazy river will that cover? Oh man, look, we should have a whole podcast topic just on <laughs> the lazy river that we've been promised for pretty much since Danny White came in. Wasn't that one yeah. of his first things? It was early, I think. It was early, and then we saw renderings a little bit, a little bit into his time, and and yeah, it's. it's if I told you in like 2016 that Danny White would leave without building a lazy river, would you believe me? <laughs> yes <laughs> i don't think i don't know i don't know if anyone really saw that as like one of the priorities that was actually going to get done i saw it, it as it's a priority it's, it's interesting i don't know I, I would like for it to get done i think it would be cool but i want to know how many generations of ucf recruits at this point have come in being promised a lazy river and <laughs> have not gotten it but anyway so i was looking i found on an old uh old story about uh eric wood and his contract when he signed with louisiana tech his buyout is nine hundred thousand. Recording that story, which I'll link. So according to that, UCF could pay his buyout and still have a ton of money left over. Like the Danny White buyout more than handles that. So it's not like some financial, oh, he just signed a contract. I don't know if we could get him out of it, whatever. So it works financially. And this was a guy who Danny White was very open about how bummed he was to be losing him when he left. He was talked talked about as a guy that sort of ran the day-to-day operations of the athletics department. I think that would be a really easy way to bring in a rising star while maintaining the continuity of your department. It just feels like it makes a ton of sense. I mean, yeah, I don't disagree. And obviously the financials of it makes sense. It's just about, I guess the principle of it is would he leave a job that he just took about three months ago to come back to, to you know, his previous employer. And I, I mean, I'm not saying if there's no chance, but just, if you put yourself in his shoes, you could see how that would be a tough decision to make. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this this search goes. I'm sure we'll see even more names thrown out. I'm sure at this point, if you're by the time you're listening to this, BD's probably got a whole list of them out there on on twenty four seven two four seven. So twenty four seven two four seven. I never. I've never. Man, I've had this out. debate with so many people, and I don't know the answer. I really well, have no idea. We'll just go with both. I'll just keep saying both of them. But you got anything else to say on on Danny White? Because we've got an, another big topic to talk about that I know a lot of people care about. Yeah, I can't wait for this one. Um, yeah, I guess my last thoughts on Danny White would just be, I seriously thank you to him. I know that people are bummed right now and I'm bummed, but I, he did so much good for the school and the, the, all the teams, all of the teams are in such a better place than they were when he came in. And I'm just, I'm grateful for that. I think UCF has a lot to build off of here, which is not what you could have said in 2015, 2015, it was a dumpster fire and everything is just so great right now. Really excited to see what happens going forward, regardless of who they end up hiring. Right, yeah, and and Christian wrote a good a good uh, little piece with some some nice words in there uh, on Night Sports Now. So go and check that out. Uh, really sums everything up really perfectly because Danny White did a lot here. He left he left it better than he found it by far. And um, I think after after the wounds you know die down a little bit, I think people are going to find themselves cheer, hoping for his success. I already am. I hope he's successful at Tennessee. But I think people are going to warm up to the idea of you know he's gone, but. We want him to have success because he deserves it. He's done a lot for UCF, and we want to see him be successful. Um, but speaking of being successful, will the UCF football program be successful in 2021? Where is this football program headed? And, I mean, we just talked about it a little bit with the Danny White stuff, but Josh Heupel, he's, he's kind of entering a big year right now. Really? You think so? Well, pretty big. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's decently big. I am um... – I don't know. You asked the question, will UCF be successful in 2021? And I feel like there's no way to answer that question because I don't know how to compare success 
of what can realistically happen next year to what the fan expectation is, if that makes sense. I truly feel like we are at the point, and maybe I'm wrong, but I really feel like we're at the point where if UCF is not in a New Year's Six Bowl, it's going to be considered a lost season by a significant chunk of the fan base. Yeah, I mean, I'd say you're probably right. And if that's the standard, no. I don't expect UCF to be in New Year's Six in 2021. So if that's the standard, then no. I don't expect 2021 to be a successful year for UCF. That's not saying, but from my standard, I think it could be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, everybody's got differing standards and, and a lot of people I think at this point have perhaps some unrealistic ones. Um, but like I said earlier, I think he's, I think UCF has to be competing for a conference championship every year. I almost said national championship, a, a conference championship every year. They got to be in the mix. And I don't mean like by whatever week eight, they're like, Oh, if we went out and then since he loses to this team and Tulsa loses to this team, then we're in. Like, I don't, I don't think the, that doesn't constitute in the mix for me so much as you know, be like, be able to control your own destiny throughout more than half of the season. Cause what was it this year after the, the Memphis loss? It was like, now that this was is, it. this is the point I wanted to make to you that I want to talk about. I've been very oh, excited no. to talk about. You're right. The Memphis game happened. UCF was two and two. And within a few weeks of the season, it was like, they're done. We were talking about like eight way tiebreakers and all this crap to get them <laughs> back in the mix. It was done. Um, how much of this season, is completely remembered differently. And how differently is Hypo right now, Shannon, if Daniel Obarski makes the kick against Memphis? This isn't some big reach. And I'm not trying to like pile on Obarski because there's a lot of things that, yeah, you're right. Daniel Obarski should have made the kick. Otis Anderson also shouldn't have fumbled at the goal line. There's a lot of re- ways that happen. But it's just a one singular moment that completely changed the season. It wasn't a hard kick, 40 yards, middle of the field. If he makes that kick, UCF wins that game 52 to 50. They're three and one. Everything plays out exactly the same. The only thing that changes is that kick goes in. UCF is 6-1 and one going into the Cincinnati game. They're almost certainly ranked. They're in late November, still in the AAC race, still in the near six race. Even if everything else plays out exactly the same, they still lose to Cincy, whatever. This season is perceived completely differently. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is. It is. You're not wrong. And then I think... I mean, I think to that point, it's not. But then after, after you get beat down by BYU the way they did, if, if that plays out the same way, I mean, I guess it wouldn't – I don't know. This, we're talking about a completely different dimension here because if, you know, if they beat Memphis and they're only they're six and 6-2 after the Cincinnati game and they finish 7-2 and two after beating USF, you know, maybe they get a different bowl game, different opponent. But if we're looking at everything the same way, after the beatdown at the hands of BYU, I still think there's a lot of unhappy people right now, regardless of the outcome of that Memphis game. But yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not completely wrong. And when you kind of laid this scenario out for me in like 16 consecutive texts a couple, like a week ago, there's a reason I stopped replying because it's just, it was that game. I didn't want to even think about that game ever again um, because there was so much frustration (laughs) felt at the end of that game. Um, And yeah, I mean, I, I think Obarski makes that kick, and, and we are looking at things a little bit differently. Things might have played out differently, and you don't want to get into, like, the whole motivation thing um, for You're Cincinnati. Right. You're right. I you kind of wonder if <laughs> – no, no no one does. No one should want to because then you start to sound like the people that have been, you know, making excuses for Auburn for all these years. What is it, four years, three years later, people are still saying, oh, Auburn wasn't motivated. But, yeah, they be you know, there. you kind of just wonder how – 
how the, the morale would have been and how everything would have been going into that Cincinnati game. If it's a top 25 matchup, it's, you know, you're six and one with everything that you you've had set out in front of you, your goals are all still there. Um, rather than just, Oh, we're going to try to play spoiler on Cincinnati season. I don't yeah. know if the game turns out differently. I, I probably doesn't because I think Cincinnati was better than UCF this year. And then they proved that, but it just kind of, it would have been an interesting, I think the game would have had a lot more hype around it. It would have been a lot more interesting, I think to watch than just, Oh, let's try to spoil Cincinnati season. Well, I think it's a way bigger game because if, if that happens and I'm not going to get, I'm just not going to get into the whole, would UCF play differently? Cause I don't think that's fair to Cincinnati. Yeah. They've yeah. been playing for more, whatever. I, I hope that UCF's not a team where in the middle of a season they're not going to want to play the game because they're not playing for a championship. You would hope not. <laughs> but that game would have been incredibly hyped. UCF would have probably been in the like 18 or 19 range in the AP poll. That would have been a big top 25 matchup, big home game, a big game. And, but I just feel like that part of the reason that Heupel has, and, and Shannon, which that's a whole other thing, their reputation has declined so much and people are so pissed is because for 2019 and 2020, and 2019 was not a bad season. I'm going to fight people on that forever. That 2019 was a good team. They won 10 games, finished ranked, good year. But both of those years, UCF was knocked out of the conference championship race very early, like very early into conference play. And I just feel like that's changed things so much because it's not just that UCF isn't getting to the game. It's that it feels like they're not even a part of the conversation. And I just really feel like if this year, if that kick goes in, UCF is part of the conversation the whole season. So even if things play out exactly the same, you can't come to the end of the year and be like, ah, UCF was irrelevant. They weren't. They were part of the conversation the entire year. Yeah, no, I mean, and and you would, I think, look at it completely differently. And one thing I'm just kind of curious to to talk about a little bit, um, I don't know if a lot of people, it didn't seem to get that much buzz, but I think one of the big things that people have hung on to if if they're, you know, still pro Josh Heupel is that, you know, the players love him. And, you know, he's good for, for the team's culture. But there was some interesting, some interesting tweets um, recently from some former UCF players um, about just kind of, kind of just like hinting at a little bit of like discontent or it, it, was, it was, I can't remember exactly what was said, but it was after, you know, we've seen a ma- mass exodus of UCF players transferring out of the program this season or this offseason in just like a few, a, a, a short month or so. Um, and so, I just kind of wonder if he – not that he's – I'm not going to say, oh, he's lost the locker room. But I just kind of wonder if there's something going on there. And I'm curious to hear what you think about that. Sure. So I think that – and, again, this is just more going off of things that we've heard or seen. Uh, it feels like there's a little bit of a disconnect between Frost guys and Apple guys. And I feel like that's played a role in this. And I don't know if that's necessarily a UCF unique situation. I think the coaching changes are really difficult on any locker room. And I think that that's just kind of part of it is, I, you know, the, the guys who recruit you aren't there anymore. And that's going and and to piss you off. And it's going to impact the way you feel about the team. And I, I do take a little bit of – I disagree a little bit with the notion that UCF's had a ton of transfers. I, was, I pulled up the numbers for how many players that each AAC team has in the portal right now. UCF is fourth on the list with 12. So fourth in the AAC, obviously, pretty high up there. 12 players seems like a lot. But I feel like the thing that we're not really concerned when we talk about this is four of those players are guys that were kicked off the team as part of the police incident midway through the season. Fair point, yeah. And I feel like we're just not really talking about that. So when you get it back down to eight, I mean, lots of teams are in that range. Cincy has six. ECU has eight. Houston has seven. I don't think there's some like – I think we're just kind of moving into this era of college football where the offseason kind of looks like free agency. Yeah, I mean, it's 
It's definitely interesting. And I don't think it's necessarily the amount of transfers. It was just the and – and you're all right about it being more like the Frost – the frost hypo recruit divide a little bit. Um, but it was just – I just don't – I thought it was interesting to hear, to see. It was, it was Titus Davis who tweeted, so if everybody transferred from UCF, who still goes to UCF? And then someone replied and said, they're not loyal. And Titus replied, nah, bro, it's not them. And Trey Neal also chimed in with the, the shushing emoji. So and both now guys, we know they were talking about Danny White. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I would hope not at this point. And then everything Danny White's done for, for this program. But yeah, no, it was just kind of a, a, little, weir- a little weird to kind of see this going on. And, and it was we- especially weird because Trey Neal never even played for Josh Heupel. I thought that was hilarious when I saw him reply, to be honest, because he yeah. transferred. I don't know if he ever met Heupel. He transferred pretty quickly yeah. after. No, he did. He did. And I don't know. I don't know if he's still, I mean, I'm sure he still had friends and guys that he talked to on the team. So I'm sure he's still in the know about the team, but it was, you know, and I'm not saying that it was like a bunch of players speaking out in the open saying, Oh, Josh Heupel, you know, isn't a good coach or isn't, you know, people don't like him, but it was just kind of weird to kind of that just things are going wrong for UCF in the last month or so. And for this to be a time where it kind of kind of starts to trickle out that hmm, maybe there's something up. I'm not saying there is, but could there be? We don't, don't really know since we're not in we're not in the locker room. But you know, just something for for us to talk about because that's what we're doing here. And I don't want to imply that I like I am I am I know more than Titus Davis or that his opinion isn't a valid opinion because it absolutely is. And I just I just don't want to put a ton of stock into speculating on a player tweeting this or a player tweeting that. There could be a problem in the locker room. I mean, there have absolutely been signs that have pointed to something's up. And part of me thinks another contributor to that is that this was just a really tough year for players to get through. I mean, they were basically in their own bubble all season, dealing with all this COVID stuff going on. It was a difficult year. And so I'm sure that just, and they didn't win the games they thought they were going to win. So I'm sure that those all play a role here. I'm not at the point where some teams get with their locker rooms where I'm like, yeah, next year's going to be a disaster. Especially because if, like it sort of seems like it is a little bit of a hypo frost divide the last of frost guys are gone now i mean it's very much kind of an end of an yeah. era for football too you saw otis anderson greg mccray marlon williams lots of guys who richie grant lots of guys who have been key part of this team for years that aren't going to be here anymore so i don't it, if the problems continue then i'm concerned because at that point it's like so now you've got a team that is completely hypo's guys and they still don't like hypo <laughs> like at that point something's not yeah not right there yeah, I mean, it is important, too, to point out, like you said, that this was just a really tough year. And I think anytime you're losing, there's going to be some, I don't know, there's going to be some some discontent, I think. And it's easy for that discontent to be picked up on by, you know, fans, media, whoever, and kind of just talked about. And, and the more it spreads, the more it becomes like, oh, is this a problem? And then within the locker room, it could be the smallest thing ever, and it's nothing. So, yeah, there, there's no reason to really believe that this is a completely, like, the locker room just has turned against Hypel, but um just it, it's out there from from former players and it's it's a little a bit of a weird situation but we'll see how things go I mean I think spring ball I think this is one of going to be one of the more interesting spring seasons for UCF um you know in, in recent memory I think maybe I guess maybe since Hypel came in but probably even more so than that just because there's so many guys gone they're replacing so many guys and we're just gonna have to see how how people step up and who steps up into those roles um you know once the spring game rolls around that'll be Definitely an interesting one. And then, you know, we're, what are we, eight months away from, from Boise State? So, man, let me oh, tell man. you. I, that, and that's, and, I, and I'm curious to get your take on just, I think we should also talk about just straight up predictions for next year. But I think what makes this spring so differently is that ever since UCF got really good, we've seen 
uh, defensive guys come and go. That's been pretty common. Mm -hmm. Um, We haven't really seen the offense go through as big of a turnover as it's going through now. You've got Trey Nixon's gone. Marlon Williams is gone. Otis, Greg. I mean, you've just got so many guys that were Jacob Harris to an extent. So many guys that have been a key part of this team for years. And this is the first real offseason for the offense where we, other than Dylan Gabriel, which obviously it's fantastic that he's back, you can't really point and say, oh, well, the offense will be fine because this guy, this guy, this guy's back. I mean, it's really just – it's Dylan Gabriel, Jalen Robinson, and the, most of the O-line is back, which is yeah. – Yeah. As far as skill players, there's a lot of, lot of change there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the key, too, is it is nice to have most of the offensive line back and, you know, have that be kind of your, the anchor of your offense. But it is. I mean, and the thing I'm not too worried, it's, it's, it's more exciting to me than worrying because I just know there's a lot of, a lot of athletes that are, are waiting for their – their chance because you know UCF's done pretty well in recruiting I mean I don't want to get into the rankings and stars and all that stuff but we've seen flashes from some some guys that just haven't really had a chance to to get a lot of playing time but now they're about to have to step up and and really you know come into their own and and take over for for some big names I mean you got guys that are going to step in at receiver for Marlin you know you know the whole backfield is going to be completely transformed um, you know other than Bentavious Thompson and then we, we really haven't seen we mentioned Johnny Richardson earlier but we haven't seen much of him yet so there's just a lot of guys that we don't know a lot about that, you know, it's, this is their time. And, and if UCS going to, going to get back to where it, it wants to be, these guys are going to have to step up. I also don't want to shortchange you because I forgot to mention Ryan O'Keefe is back too, which I thought he did a great job this year, not expecting to be a big part of things and really coming and making a difference. So that's exciting that he's back too. But um, yeah. yeah. And one thing that I also think is interesting or maybe not interesting, but just, I am definitely more of a Dylan Gabriel critic than the average UCF fan. And I'm going to present a theory here that's not going to make me popular, but I'm just going to throw it out there and then people can hate me. They already hate me for the hype and stuff. So it's oh, yeah, just I feel like, like they do. It's white noise at this point. Um, You're like the villain of UCF Twitter. I really am. People hate me. Anyway. They do. <laughs> especially you and Sarah. But um, <laughs> I think that, and this is going to sound a little critical of Dylan Gabriel. I just want to say for the record, Dylan Gabriel's without a doubt one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. I don't think you can argue that I argue that at this point. But it feels like he came in same high school as Mackenzie Milton. Him and Mackenzie Milton were like best friends when they got on the team. He came in and was not really expected to start in 2019 and then did. It feels like the fan base, especially with Milton being out with injury, kind of took their feelings for Milton and their goodwill for Milton and kind of just transferred it to Dylan Gabriel. And we've kind of been in this phase ever since he became the quarterback that Gabriel can do no wrong. And whenever something happens in a game, whenever there's a loss, it wasn't on Gabriel. It was on the coaches or the receivers for dropping the ball or whatever. And it's what Gabriel just sort of lives in this protected from criticism bubble. So I'm just going to be completely honest and people can hate me for it. He absolutely has to get better in tw- for 2021, 2021 to be a successful year. And that's not to say he's not good because he is really good, but he's still not the game changer that Mackenzie Milton is. He just hasn't taken that next step. He's not creative like Milton. He can't make something out of nothing. He's not mobile at all, whether that's by design or not is up for debate. But you just think about it. We were talking about it when we watched the last couple of games, especially in big games. There's so many moments where a play sort of falls apart. And if that's Mackenzie Milton, he's scampering for a 10 yard gain, running around so someone gets open. And it just feels like Gabriel bails on plays really fast. We're throwing this away. We're just going to take the sack, whatever. And like I said, he's obviously a very good quarterback, but he still hasn't really taken that leap for me yet. And I just kind of feel like he has to, if UCF is going to have another year like 2017 or 2018, I just feel like you can't do that with a one-dimensional quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I I completely agree. And I think, I don't know, for for his freshman year, I kind of thought that the way 
he wouldn't really he wouldn't really use his legs much. He really wouldn't do a lot. Um, you know, wouldn't prove that he had a lot of mobility. And I've kind of chalked that up to oh, it's you know, it's the coaching staff's approach with him. But I think we saw you know this year. I, I don't know. I still think maybe some of it's the coaching staff, but I still I, I'm starting to believe a little bit more that it's just not the kind of quarterback that he is. And you know that's okay. But you know he's got to he's got to get better in other areas if he's going to make up for that because that was really a big part of what Mackenzie Milton did so well was that he would just keep plays alive and he would keep things moving. But, you know, if Gabriel's not going to use his legs the way McKenzie did, and I mean, not, not many quarterbacks can really. Um, but if he's going to do that, if he's not going to do it with his legs, I think he's going to have to step up in other areas and just it's – the, it's the big game thing, man. It's the big thing. big game thing for me is that he just seems to, to kind of turtle up. Like he just like – I don't know what the, the term is for that, but he just kind of to go into his own shell and he's not, he's not the same Dylan Gabriel. And, and it's really weird to just kind of see such different versions of him because he's really, he's really, there's a completely different quarterback and, and it's, it's kind of maddening and kind of confusing to see, but you know, it, it's something that's going to have to change if UCF's going to win a lot of games in 2021. And I want to bring this up. I did these stats a little back in the day, so they're not hundred percent right, but it was Dylan Gabriel's performance against top 25 teams in his two years. So the one difference here is it's including stats from Tulsa this year because Tulsa at the time was in the top 25 and has fallen out, but I'm just going to include them because I think Tulsa still played the AC championship fine. So Dylan Gabriel against top 25 teams plus Tulsa, 52% completion rate, 270 passing yards a game, seven touchdowns to five picks. It's not good. Not, not great. That's not good. I, I just, you can't have that. So, and that's kind of where I look at where, and it, and it feels like, to me, it doesn't, it, it doesn't to me feel like it's a situation where the skill isn't there, where it's like he can't compete against top three defenses. It kind of feels like he just, and I think some of this is coaching for the record. I really do, but it feels like he just plays safer football against big teams and he just doesn't take the risks that Milton would take. And that plays a role and that has an impact. It, I mean, it definitely does. It definitely does. And it, it's, it's interesting to talk about because I think, like you said earlier, there's, there's this perception of him that he can't do any wrong and that he's, you know, he's just the, the heir apparent and, and it's, you know, he's going to carry UCF. But he, I think he is. He's a bit of a question mark. He's not the biggest question mark on this team going forward, but I think he's still a question mark. And that's what we're going to kind of have to keep an eye on, um, I think, throughout the spring is, is how well he adapts to, to, you know, these new guys stepping in. But, you know, of course, there's all the defensive questions as well. But he is a guy that I think kind of holds the key or kind of, yeah, kind of is the key to whether or not UCF can really get back to, to where it wants to be and where it should be. Yeah. I just, I, I think that it's, and again, it's like, I just, part of it is because I don't want to get hammered on Twitter, but also I'm just being serious. He, he's a great quarterback. I mean, he's a fantastic quarterback. There are way worse situations to be in. But the other thing that I think is going to be interesting for this year is you've now got two guys that left UCF because Dylan Gabriel beat them out, who are going to be starting other schools, presumably starting. You've got Mackenzie Milton at Florida State, and you've got Daryl Mack at Old Dominion. I know Mack at Old Dominion isn't really a big deal because whatever, it, it's Old Dominion. And people are just going to say no matter what he does well, it's Old Dominion. But if Mackenzie Milton, and I'm not saying that the coaching staff should have told Gabriel sit for a year so Milton can come back. That was never on the table. This was just a situation that kind of had to happen. But if Mackenzie Milton balls out at FSU and pulls a De'Ara King and makes them relevant again, that puts a lot of pressure on Gabriel. But it's like if FSU is outperforming UCF to say this is the guy that you beat out and he's having more success at another school. I mean, it definitely does. And I think, 
it's going to make for a lot of difficult weekends, I think, on Twitter because people are going to be so like hyper aware of that and every little thing is going to be a comparison. Um, so, I mean, I, I think in some ways you kind of want to stay away from that because they're both now in completely different situations. But, yeah, no, I mean, you're not wrong and it definitely puts puts a lot of pressure on him to perform because I think a lot of people, when McKenzie transferred, it was, you know, they respected the move but they were like, well, we kind of wanted him to stay. Like, we would rather have him starting over Dylan Gabriel. I mean, I, th- I don't think there's, there's a lot – and there's, there's a lot of people that think that. And now, whether, I mean, whether or not he, he realizes it, that puts a lot of pressure on him because, you know, in some people's eyes, he's always been their second choice. They would have rather had Mackenzie Milton starting this entire right. time anyway. You know, without the injury, he would be. And now it's, you know, you're, you're people's second choice, so you're going to have to do more to prove – that you know this is a good decision this was this was the right move and not really that UCF even had that much say in the move because you know McKenzie said what he said he said you know this was this was Dylan's team and and he wasn't going to make him compete for the job that he had already earned so it, it really wasn't so much as like UCF made the decision to move on from McKenzie it was just that you know this is what circumstances have given us and that's un- fairly or unfairly going to put pressure on Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. And like I said, I'll just, just to wrap up on that topic, because I don't want to get too into it. Cause like you said, and like I said, it's unfair. I'm not saying that that should be what people do. I, it, it makes no sense. Cause like I said, for the people who were like, I mean, there was a legitimate argument on Twitter that people were like, Dylan Gabriel is going to red shirt in 2021. So Milton can have a senior year. You cannot ask someone who just had the season Dylan Gabriel had, who's presumably a year away from the NFL to sit out a year. That was never going to happen. This was just kind of an unfortunate situation where this is the way it was going to play out. But unfair or not, the comparisons are going to be constant, not just among UCF's fans, but nationally. And that does put a lot of pressure on Dylan that it's like, you know, if Milton, and we don't know what Milton's going to look like, to be fair, but if he looks like old Milton, that's going to create a lot of criticism that he has to deal with. Yeah, no doubt. And and we won't get any any further on this because we're going to have plenty of weeks to talk football because, you know, the soft season is going to be excruciatingly long. Um, but, you know, kind of on that note, we're going to wrap up with some news, um, some news and notes from <laughs> a lot of the sports and we've got a lot to get through. So we'll try to be quick and, and not too tedious. But, you know, starting with football, Mackenzie Milton, as of um, as of Thursday, is fully cleared, uh, ready to play right away at Florida State. And obviously, that's a exciting news for everyone who wants to see him play again. Everybody wants to see him play again. Um, he's already posted on, on his Instagram story the, the date of the spring game for Florida State and I'm sure a lot of UCF fans will be tuning in for that, that one. Um, so, I mean, obviously some great news. And, and also on the Florida State front, um, everybody's probably seen by now, but Brandon Moore has also joined McKenzie Milton at Florida State. So now a couple of, a couple of nights uh, that are now Seminoles. On the bright side, I feel like Florida State automatically has to support UCF's national championship claim if they end up having a good year. So that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would think so. It kind of seems to fit logically. Um, but elsewhere in football, Tennessee wide receiver Brandon Johnson joined as a, a grad transfer last week. Uh, former center Jordan Johnson was hired as the new offensive line coach at Madonna University uh, in an NAIA school in Michigan. Um, some recruiting news, sort of, not really even really news yet, but UCF seems to be in the mix for Auburn running back Mark Anthony Richards, which I think, if anything, would give the, the running back room a little bit more depth. Um, Alex trans- Alex Harris transferred to Arizona State, um, so good for him. He's gone to a Power Five school after not really. I don't think he really featured that much for for UCF. 
No, that's we're we're literally at the point where guys who can't break into the rotation at UCF are transferring to power fives to play. So that's a uh, kind of exciting. Yeah. You had to kind of look at that as a positive, really. Um, <laughs> Anthony Tucker, uh, former UCF coach, was hired as offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach at Utah State. Um, some coaching news for UCF. Cody Burns was hired as the new wide receivers coach coming from Auburn, where at Auburn he played there. He's a grad, trans- a grad assistant and was a wide receivers coach there. Matt Merritt has come as the new running backs coach from James Madison. And wrapping up for football, Traquan Smith, uh, UCF in the NFL, he had three catches for 85 yards and two touchdowns against the Bucks in the NFC divisional round. Um, a big game for him and what was probably Drew Brees' final game. He had a lot of big moments with Drew Brees over his short time. And it Wasn't was he as really. – he was some passing milestone was a touchdown yeah. to him. I don't remember what it was. but I'm not 100% sure if that milestone has, is still standing because just because him and Tom Brady have gone back and forth on the touchdown passes <laughs> right. uh, record so much. But, yeah, I mean, I think it was on Monday Night Football he had a big moment there. And finally, I think people have probably seen this coming for a while, but offensive lineman Parker Boudreau um, has been generating a lot of buzz lately as a, a potential professional wrestling prospect. He's gotten some some interest from different personalities and, and some of the companies out there. And last night, uh, Wednesday night, he was backstage at WWE's NXT. And yeah, it seems like something's close uh, for him there, or not, not necessarily there, but in the re- professional wrestling uh, arena and I would assume, I don't know if it's been official yet, but I would assume he's not coming back to UCF. I don't know if it's official, but he's not. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's, it seems very clear at this point that he's not. It seems like his his priorities are elsewhere. And, and no good for him. I think this has been something that people have talked him up for, for, I mean, since he got here, maybe since since high school. Because just if you look at him, that guy looks like, you know, a, a menacing guy. Oh, for sure. No, that's awesome for him. I mean, and I think it's just, you know, another way that UCF kind of continues to grow its brand is having so many athletes in a lot of different areas, you know, making a brand for themselves, making a name for themselves. Definitely. And, and kind of a moving on kind of a casualty of, of this whole Danny white thing. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about basketball in this, this episode. Maybe we'll get to get to it more next week, but kind of some basketball news, some results, Uh, UCF men's basketball, 62 55 loss at temple last Thursday and then a 75 to 58 loss at Houston on Sunday. Now they're three and five overall, one and four in the AAC. And, you know, really COVID has just derailed that season. They play, I think they came out after the Temple game. They had practiced one time in 11 days. Is that correct? I muted myself. Excuse me. I would uh, really like to get into basketball next week. Like we said, we were planning to do that this week, and Danny White left. So that's cool. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, next week we'll really get into what's going on with basketball, both basketballs, because women's basketball is having a great season. They have not been as derailed as men's yeah. so far. Yeah, definitely. They they were 58-51 winners at ECU last Wednesday, 57-41 winners against Cincinnati on Sunday. They're 7-2 and two overall and 5-1 and one in the AAC, so good things happening there. Um, they're kind of chasing USF at the moment, who's just having a ridiculous season um, on the women's basketball side of things. But men's soccer, their schedule has been released. They're playing 10 games all in the American, starting on uh, – actually on Saturday with an exhibition against FIU. Then they open up the regular season on February 6th against Tulsa. And then women's soccer has also released their schedule. There's just an eight-game schedule all on the American, except they have an exhibition on February 7th against Miami. And then they have their first regular season game on Valentine's Day at Temple. And moving on, we've got um, some volleyball news. Volleyball actually was supposed to start this weekend. They had an exhibition planned for I believe Friday and then the season opener on Saturday was going to be against FAU 
that had to be moved uh, to this Monday and Tuesday. So they'll play the exhibition on Monday and then start their season on Tuesday. They were picked to win the AAC in the preseason poll. Uh, junior outside hitter McKenna Melville, Melville was named unanimous AAC preseason player of the year. And she was joined by senior right side hitter Anne-Marie Watson on the preseason all-conference team. So another big year really expected out of, out of the volleyball team. And um, kind of keep an eye out for uh, on Night Sports now because I'm going to write something up about Todd Dagenet and just the longevity he's had at UCF. And, you know, we, we kind of talked about this last week um, when we were kind of planning some stuff for this podcast. But, um, you know, he's outlasted a lot of other coaches at UCF, and now he's outlasted Danny White, which is kind of crazy to think about. I have a great uh, Dagenet stat for you. Oh boy. So Dagenet so far has been at UCF for, I believe, that we determined 13 years. This is his, this would be his 13th year. Yeah, he was hired and, in 08. Right, and Danny White was here for five years. They both saw the same number of UCF presidents in their 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, man. The presidents thing is really insane. Um, softball, they were, uh, their schedule's not quite out yet. Haven't, been, haven't seen it released, but they were ranked number 22 in the D1 softball preseason top 25. They were 21-5-1 before COVID cut the last season short. So, you know, I think they've got a lot of, of key contributors back, as does baseball, who was 15-3, and three, and they had gotten to number 12 last season before COVID cut the season short. They were unranked in D1 baseball's preseason top 25, but I can't imagine they were too far off the top 25. Yeah, they're going to have a great year. I've declared. So You've declared? You've heard it here first. Yeah, I mean, I think they've got, they've got a lot of talent back. I think they might have lost a couple guys, but – Really have a lot of a lot of contributors back for them as well. They also um, have astounding tennis. uniforms. Sorry, I got to hop in there real quick and just say oh, baseball. Yeah, amazing uniforms. The white Pegasus, the black with white UCF logo, the Scripps Knights on the. It's just we'll have a whole podcast just about baseball's uniforms. It's Stay tuned much, for that. Yeah, no, I was literally going to say that we could do an entire and if we do some sort of pre- preview for for baseball, I think we might actually just map out what they're. You can like talk about the team and stuff like. and like how that's going to go. And I'll just occasionally be like, mm, and the camo one, it's nice. And we'll just go through it like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's probably how that'll go. But uh, men's tennis, they're ranked number 16. They released their 2021 schedule. They have 18 matches with some, some big ones against Florida, Miami, Wake Forest, FSU, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state. So some big power six matchups there. Uh, women's tennis their schedule was also released earlier this month and they've got some big ones as well they're ranked eight number 18 in the preseason ita poll and you know that just about wraps it up for um the news and upcoming for for just kind of what's on the schedule what's on the agenda for uh, until the next time we record i guess um men's basketball play saturday against smu you know barring any cancellations i should probably preface that for all these games and events but uh saturday against smu and then wednesday against ecu Women's basketball is Saturday at SMU. They play Wednesday against ECU also with a doubleheader with men's. Like I said, volleyball will have their exhibition against FAU on Monday. They'll open the season on Tuesday against FAU. And then uh, men's golf opening up with a a tournament in Jacksonville on Monday and Tuesday. And then finally, women's tennis. They'll start on Sunday against number 16, Wake Forest. And then we'll play on Monday against either number eight, NC State, or Northwestern. So told you we had a lot to get through. We've gotten through it. I think we're all better for it. We're all better informed for it. So I feel better informed than I, and you showed me the list like two days ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad that's the case. And you know, this is, this has been fun. I think we've, we've run a little bit longer than we intended to, but unless you have anything, uh, we're getting ready to get out of here. Um, yeah. One last thing I'd say is if you don't agree with my Dylan Gabriel take, that's cool. Just leave me alone though. Like it's fine. <laughs> we can have different opinions, man. It's cool. Well, what else are you going to do? If you can't argue with people on Twitter, what else are you going to do? 
Yeah, but I'm already arguing with him about like eight other things. I don't need to add no, that's Gabriel on that list. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be nine. But um, speaking of Twitter, you can find Christian on Twitter. Don't send him anything hateful, please. At by CA Simmons, you can find me at Bailey J Adams twenty two, and you can find uh, our written work uh, from time to time at nightsportsnow.com on Twitter at nightsportsnow. And yeah, thank you guys for joining us for our very first uh, edition of the Pegasus Podcast, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you, everybody.